Hello, please let me see your ticket subs for the Double-Edged Devil Bill. Tonight we see Kate Blanchett in an ocean of eight Hannahs. Each week, Adam Thomas and Thomas Marion will come to the table to discuss the randomly selected yin and yang of a double feature. Then, both will have to pick a number between 1 and 10 in order to seal their fates for the next episode. One will have two good movies, the other two bad ones. Let the chaos begin. And I am Thomas Mariani, and not some sort of suspicious part of a heist scheme. And I am Adam Thomas, and not just a real ball-breaking CIA agent. But if I was, I couldn't tell you. I mean, if you did, we'd be dead. Yeah. Well, you would be. Yes, and to all ten of our listeners. All dead. Welcome to the Devil-Edged Devil Bill. This week, in honor of uh, Kate Blanchett, who is an actress that I think all of us kind of admire to some degree, is going to be in a movie called Where'd You Go, Bernadette? Which, uh, as we kind of talked about last week, is a movie I'm not sure how they're advertising, why they're advertising it the way they are. I legit don't know what the movie is. Like, is it a comedy? Is it a mystery? Is it a thriller? Is it all three? I have no idea. Yeah, uh, it's Richard Linklater, which is the sliver of interest, because yeah. um, he hasn't done too many bad movies. He's not above it, though. He's he's done some stinkers, so it, that looks odd. But I think both of us are pretty big fans of uh, Kate Blanchett in general, Adam. Like, what was the first time you remember seeing Kate Blanchett? Oh, God, dude. Uh, hmm. That's a good question. Probably Lord of the Rings, to be honest. Or at least the first one that pops in there. I mean, I'm sure I saw her before that, but Lord of the Rings was the first one where when she came in things afterwards, I'm like, oh yeah, that's uh, Galadriel from Lord of the Rings. Right, and she's really important to those movies because that was probably the first time for me as well because she's the one that does that big intro at mm-hmm. the beginning. She does that voiceover, which like helps sell the whole world pretty much. Oh, yeah. like the kingdoms of men and all this other stuff. Even though after Fellowship of the Ring, she just kind of stands around. Especially in the Hobbit movies, which just like, hey fam, oh, bye. <laughs> I have such a huge issue with those movies that we won't get into on this episode. Maybe one day. No. But, uh, but I mean, I think the first time I recognized her, though, was like just less of like a weird ethereal fantasy creature that she kind of is. No offense, but she is almost like a human hybrid with like the Gelflings from the Dark Crystal mm-hmm. in a way that makes her sort of just otherworldly in a fascinating way. The first time I ever really, I think, realized her talents was with The Aviator when she played Catherine Hepburn. And, she, yeah. and arguably one of the best examples of like someone who's an actress playing a real-life actress that we all know very well. Yeah, and arguably the best part of that movie as well, to be honest. I mean, I don't know. I, I really yeah, dig that movie. I like it too, but it's a little long in the tooth. <laughs> Martin Scorsese movie long? Never. <laughs> <laughs> Especially that, like Blanchett, um, despite how, like I said, she kind of has a very distinctive look that makes her stand out from a lot of sort of actresses of her age and ilk. Um, she also feels like a chameleon. It, she almost just like disappears. I agree, which is so funny because, and honestly, at least for me, she's not the best at accents, especially, like, American accents. But it doesn't even matter because she's so fucking good. Like, I think both of our movies tonight are a good example of not that great of an accent, but she just sells the part so well you don't even care. Um, even though 
the one of them is her native Australian accent. I don't know. That <laughs> 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 just throws my whole theory to shit. I honestly didn't even know she was Australian. I thought she was British. Well, right, because you would have figured, given how pale she is, like, how could you survive in the outback? How can anyone survive in the goddamn outback? Well, that's true, yes, unless you're Crocodile Dundee. Dundee, right. (laughs) Unless you're Paul Hogan, you probably can't survive. Let's get into our features, because at the end of our last episode, we picked a good and a bad feature based on uh, you had two bad movies, I had two good movies, and randomly selected uh, were the the two features. Uh, First, we're going to talk about Ocean's 8, which was your bad pick. Um, and then uh, we'll talk about my good pick, which was Hannah. Uh, and, uh, yeah, let's go ahead and get started then with Ocean's 8. Debbie Ocean, convicted felon. Her brother, Danny Ocean, more convicted felon. Ooh. In three and a half weeks, the Met will be hosting its annual ball, and we are going to rob it. Is it genetic? Are the whole family like this? $16.5 million in each of your bank accounts. It's legit, right? Absolute good news. Came on. Why do you need to do this? Because it's what I'm good at. Ocean's 8. Only in cinemas. So, uh, Ocean's 8 came out uh, June 8th, 2018. Um, was a spinoff of the Ocean's franchise, which technically started with an old movie from the 60s that starred the Rat Pack of Frank Sinatra, Dean Martin, Sammy Davis Jr., all those guys. And what is basically just like a write-off so that they could go off to like drink and smoke there's no question they're all liquored up the entire shoot oh yeah and not so much i'm sure what the pitch was was just frank's like hey let's go to vegas and on studio dime mm-hmm. but frank we need a we need some kind of like plot uh we steal from the casino sure cut print let's fly away <laughs> let's go <laughs> listen this is what we're gonna do baby we're gonna me and my friends are gonna go out drinking and you're gonna film it <laughs> put the story to it <laughs> they don't give a shit Pretty much. Uh, but then Steven Soderbergh uh, then took that movie and made a good movie out of it with Ocean's Eleven um, and proceeded to make two sequels after that. And then uh, they made Ocean's Eight, which is a spinoff that has a mostly female cast. Uh, there's only a couple cameos from people from older movies, uh, one of which makes sense. The other one feels very tacked on. I don't know if you can tell yeah, which one I'm talking about. I'm pretty sure I, I get your drift. Adam, I was very curious to hear of all of Kate Blanchett's filmography. Uh, why was this one uh, a bad one for you? Why didn't you like this one? Ah, well, because I really, really, really enjoy uh, Ocean's Eleven. Twelve, not so much. Thirteen, I'd argue, is better than twelve. But uh, I really love Ocean's Eleven. But I'm also really into heist movies. And I honestly think that I would have liked this movie more if it wasn't tied into the Ocean's franchise. For them to give the Danny Ocean character such an unceremonious death, and he's got this sister that is never mentioned across three films... It, it, who's in the same profession he is and just as good, if not better. It just, it feels so forced and tacked on to me. I'm not a Sandra Bullock fan, per se. Like, I think she's okay in this. I think the bright example in this movie might be Aquafina. She's fantastic, and from what I understand, she's just getting better and better. I mean, the plot is so ridiculous. It's so stupid. With the glasses that mimic... The, I mean, it's just... It, it's so out there and high-tech in a way that it's like... This could never work. Like, it's imp- it's unbelievable to me. It just has nothing to do with that. It's a female cast. And I just think it's a, just a kind of a, could have maybe used another pass at the script. I just feel it's like a rushed production. Well, um, I saw this last year. I remember liking it. It's just like, it's a pleasant, fine movie. And then, you know, mm-hmm. I rewatched it now. And I really thought long and hard about it. 
and I feel the exact same way I did the first time, it's fine. <laughs> I don't I, I don't really see putting this as like a bad movie for any of these people on this, you know, dais. These actresses do what they're asked of, which maybe isn't a lot in most cases. Some go a bit above and beyond. I'd argue sure. Aquafina, I agree, I think is quite funny. I'd argue also Anne Hathaway is really fucking funny in this movie. Anne Hathaway almost steals the movie. She so honestly funny. does. Yeah. <laughs> that bit at the end which just like, oh, James Gordon's like, I love my job. Oh, I love my job too. Oh, and that fucking guy, I don't like that guy either. I don't like him usually. I thought he was fine in this. I don't think it's, it's nothing like that impressive. Like this whole movie is just basically very like mildly chuckle worthy to me. Like, that's how I would describe okay. it. Like, the well, whole time, gotta, I'm just like, I'm mildly amused consistently. You gotta figure, I'm tasked with picking a bad Kate Blanchett movie, and the problem with that is, it's, she's always good in everything she's in. Right. So I tried to pick a movie that, even though she is good in it, that I didn't personally connect with. And this would this was one of the only ones. I mean, it was really hard on this one, because she's is one of the greatest actresses working today. But like I said, I just, I didn't, connect with this and at the fucking end where they get what's his name back from the the I can't, the little contortionist guy oh yeah his like, name is, is uh, Quinn Sabo as the amazing yen the ma- there he is yen I'm like what come on really no I agree I thought that was tacked on especially because the movie had pretty much ended at that point and then mm-hmm. they just have this odd cameo like I think the Elliot Gold one is the one that I think is fine she just comes yeah, in, just like, awesome. hey, come on, you know, sometimes it's better not to do the job. Hey, all right, bye. <laughs> like, that's, yeah, exactly. That's all you really need. You could have also had anybody, like Matt Damon could have cycled in. And even, like, with the Danny Ocean thing, they hint throughout the whole thing. It's like, he's probably not dead. This is no, he's not thing. dead. Sure, no. he's not dead, but still. Of, yeah. You could have got Affleck or Scott Kahn. They're not doing anything. <sighs> I, I, one, I don't want Casey Affleck to get more work. Well, especially in a I, cast of women, that's probably not the Yeah, best probably idea. not a good idea, no. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and then uh, Scott Kahn, I don't think they, they had to like dig him out from Parts Unknown. Um, but uh, then again, for me, also, I actually hadn't seen, aside from Ocean's Eleven, I hadn't seen any of the other Ocean's mm. movies until before this movie was coming out. I watched them. Uh, I would put this probably just around three for me, uh, Ocean's Thirteen. Like, it's okay. around that same place for me, where it's like, it's fine, it's kind of forgettable. I don't remember much of either of those movies necessarily, but I had a pleasant time watching either of them. I would watch this in any day over 12. Yeah. Oh, well, no, me too. Absolutely. 12 is atrocious. Yeah. The Bruce Willis, Julia Roberts joke. Oh. Terrible. Yeah. One of the most self-indulgent bullshit sequences oh, in any so movie. Egotistical. It's, it's so bad. It's so ridiculous. Uh, but I will say Vincent Cassell doing the breakdancing through the lasers is pretty cool oh no he's the good thing and i'm glad he's the only thing they brought back from 12 in 13 yeah. and that was yeah. worth it yeah um but I'll, I'll say speaking about the other movies i think the biggest crime of this movie has nothing to do with any of the cast members it has everything to do with i think gary ross is a very mediocre director and coming off of steven soderbergh who's so stylish with all those movies what other things has he done so gary ross's other stuff uh there was pleasantville sea biscuit yeah. the first hunger games and free state of jones Oh, good lord. Jeez. So, yeah, okay. He's not that good. It's a pretty much a big swath of mediocrity. And I think that's the big thing here is this is shot like a very typical studio comedy. Which, Uh like, you mentioned, like, the whole female casting. That was also my biggest issue with, like, the Ghostbusters movie. That most recent one. It's just, it had nothing to do with any of, like, that female cast. And I thought the script was alright. It had everything to do with it's such a flatly made movie. 
Right. I'm not that interested in it. It's definitely the same thing here, especially when you have sort of the big high sequences going on. It sticks out so blandly. It's just like this... I'm I'm instantly forgetting shots as they're coming past me. Oh, I completely agree. You know, and the thing is, it's like, while watching this, I'm literally going, wait, why are they doing this? Wait, what point does this serve? It's not that I couldn't follow it, but like you said, maybe the way it was filmed, maybe the way it was played out or anything, I lost interest halfway through the movie. Like, I get it, I'm going to rob these famous jewels or whatever. Okay, cool. Like I said, it all just felt unsensical to me. But as we talked about before, and even our heist episode, I love heist movies. I fucking really, really enjoy them. And this one just did not grab me at all. No, they definitely lean more on being a comedy, which is to say on the cast members who, like I said, I think do fun. Like, we, there are other people here, like Mindy Kaling, I thought, fine. Mm-hmm. All the bottom's always good, but wasted. I, I No, the biggest waste for me, though, is Sarah Paulson, because she gets nothing funny to do, and her whole character... Is just like, oh, hey, I'm a, you know, ignored housewife mm-hmm. who has some kind of weird side gig where I buy shit and resell it. And I set everything up for other people to do cool stuff, but I don't right. do anything cool. I'm out of the life. Well, it can make you a lot of money. Okay, I'm back in. Yeah. Like, and, okay. and she's such a phenomenal actress. And she doesn't get to do films that often anyway. She's always no. on fucking TV doing something. And it's such a bummer when you, like, misuse her like this. Um, a better example of a Sarah Paulson, Kate Blanchett uh, collaboration, the alternate choice I had, Carol. Both are quite well used. Still, I haven't seen. Gotta yes. watch it. Yes, uh, but... But then, the, the thing with uh, even fucking Rihanna, it's like, so they give her this whole story about her sister, and I mean, you, don't, you don't care. I mean, I found that part funny. I thought that was, like, a fun back and forth between the two of them, and then... the one scene? Yeah, I thought that was... I, I wish there was more of it, I agree. I think it's just a problem of, like, they had to have this sort of thing where they have to have, like, literally eight people, and just that you didn't really know how to use all eight people. If you had done, like, an Ocean's 5... I could see that. Yeah. Or even 6. Or even 6, right, yeah, because mm-hmm. definitely, like, the, the biggest standouts would have to be, like... I like... I agree with you that I'm not usually the biggest Sandra Bullock fan, but I found her to be a fun George Clooney stand-in for this part. And her and Kate Blanchett have a solid, like, Brad Pitt-style rapport... I think, especially, I love the bit where they're in the restaurant talking about, like, oh, are you, this is a proposal, honey? Oh, I don't have a diamond yet, baby. All this kind of stuff back and forth. Mm-hmm. I think they did a pretty good job, like, bouncing off each other quite well. Um, and not to mention, Kate Blanchett's biggest thing is, like, say some quippy things and also wear incredibly amazing outfits. Like, every yeah. scene I have right. a different outfit. <laughs> well, that, it, it, you're exactly right, though. That It's exactly the dynamic that Jer- Clooney and Brad Pitt had. Mm-hmm. No, I will say this, as far as, like, sort of adopting the ilk of the Danny Ocean character to play his sister, she did pretty good. Mm-hmm. She's real snappy. She's play, She's a cool customer. I think it being related to the Ocean's franchise kind of hurt the movie. I don't think it needed to be. I think if you did an all-female heist movie, I think it, it maybe would stand a little bit better on its own legs. I don't like that they relied on something else. I mean, I, I guess, but it's a, it's part of that problem where it's like, oh, hey, we don't necessarily want to do sequels, reboots, and all this other stuff. But then again, most audiences would want to see like something that somewhat connects to something they're aware of. Like, I don't think this movie would have made nearly $300 million if it wasn't connected to Oceans. This movie made $300 million? Yeah. Jesus. Yeah, because it's an incredibly pleasant movie to just, like, watch, for leave, and forget about. And have a fun time with. It's total summer fluff. That's what this thing is. 
in a way that I found like perfectly serviceable and I, I didn't need to see it again. I would have never gone out of my way to see this again after I saw it in the right. theater. And then again, I'm not also the hugest Oceans fan either. Like, I think Eleven's a good movie. Mm. But at the same time, I'm not drawn to, like, really go back to it. If I want a Steven Soderbergh heist movie, I'll go to Logan Lucky again over any of the Oceans things. Which I still haven't seen either. It's really fucking great. I know! Everybody talks, <laughs> even my brother's like, dude, you gotta watch it. I go, oh, I know, I know, and I just haven't watched it. <laughs> Well, you got to figure when Oceans came out. Oh God, Oceans came out what, like two thousand and one? Holy hell! So I was eighteen when that movie came out, mm-hmm. and I'm watching it. And I'm like, these are like the coolest guys ever. It was just such a cool movie. Like the soundtrack, the dialogue, the snappiness of it, everything. It felt like a new Rat Pack sort of movie, and I fucking fell in love with it. And I still really love it. But yeah, the sequels are not great. And then. Like I said, this one, I think I had higher hopes for this one because the sequels were so bad. And I just felt kind of like, like you said, it's it's fine, I guess. Like, it's a movie. It exists. I'm never going to watch it again. Do I hate myself for watching it like some of the other movies we watch on the show? No. But, eh, eh it's there. Like, I, I was looking up that, like, Blanchett herself and even Mindy Kaling were kind of talking about the lukewarm reception of this movie being because of, like, some of these recent trends that mainly are a real thing of, mm-hmm. like, white male trolls completely downplaying something like a Ghostbusters or something like Captain Marvel that even happened around sure, the sure. changed their whole fucking system about it. I, I, I completely agree, but at the same time, I think the reception of this one, like, I don't remember as much of an outcry against this, I think because... Man babies weren't so protective of the oceans franchise. Well, maybe, maybe, but my thing is, the material has to be good, though. Mm-hmm. I mean, for a lot of people, yeah, unfortunately, it's all women, it's crap. Well, take it easy. If it's a good movie, it's a good movie. See, I have a lot of problems with Captain Marvel. I, I didn't really care for Ghostbusters, but like we already talked about it for the same reasons we already mentioned, but there's some fun in it. I don't think it deserved the hate of God. Uh, but this one was like kind of like a fart in the wind. Like it came out, it made its money, and then it was gone. I don't remember that, like you said, a, that big of an issue about this one. Um, but the thing is, if it's good, it's good. If it's bad, it's bad. Who gives a shit who's in it? Yeah, and plus even then, like there were plenty of like female and non-white dude critics who were just kind of like, eh, to the movie anyway. Mm. And I think it just speaks more to that we need kind of like a diverse range of critics anyway than just a bunch of like and mainly it's a dominated field of like white dudes like oh, uh yeah yeah like justin chang um who works for the la times where he argued that uh film criticism does need to be diverse but uh, we negate the possibility of sympathetic imagination when we assume that someone's particular affinity for a work of art will be dictated in advance by specifics of race gender or age which is true it's just something that 100 yeah. percent, yeah and if you're wondering why I brought all of this up, it's because there's not a lot to talk about with fucking Ocean's 8, Adam. <laughs> no, 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 you're 100% right. There really isn't. In fact, like, I picked it, and then I rewatched it, and I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> like, there's not a lot going on in this movie. But I, I do want to reiterate, like, I didn't pick it because I feel it's a bad movie. It's not a terrible movie. It's a, just a blah movie. But to go through Kate Blanchett's fucking filmography and pick out a really bad movie is hard because she's like i said she's always good in it and uh so i mean really it was this or bandits and they're both not terrible well and plus like the the really bad ones are more just like they're 
tend to be like really overlong and ones that we don't necessarily want to talk like we talked briefly about like oh what about indiana jones like the crystal skull it's like don't want to watch it again don't want to talk about it no. the hobbit movies I, I i i feel if we're going to talk about that this wasn't the topic to do it for no uh the second elizabeth yeah oh god oh, yeah. <laughs> speaking of heist movies that would involve george clooney uh monuments men would have been one, and that's just a complete bore fest of a movie. That, yeah, that I completely forgot that even existed, yep. to be honest with you. <laughs> you know, so let's just go, I'll go into my final thoughts then on yes. this one. I think our lady of topic, Kate Blanchett, is fine in it. I think most of the cast is fine in it. I don't think anyone's terrible, but I think some are just mediocre at best. I think it's an okay heist movie. I, I do not think it's should be tagged with the oceans title i completely think that if sandra bullock was not related to danny ocean the movie would work just as well i don't think it was necessary to tie it into that but again nowadays it's got to be tied to something or a remake or a superhero movie but it's an okay movie it's okay like if you've never seen it before and it's on watch it you're not going to hate yourself for watching it you're never going to watch it again chances are at least i won't it's just ultimately like a lot of the ones that end up being our bad choices, forgettable. Yeah, and I think it's forgettable, but even when I was watching it the second time, I still had a pleasant time watching it. I think that I consistently had fun with, like, all the banter. It's not incredibly, like, laugh-out-loud funny. I don't think the most I laughed out loud is really some of the stuff near the end with Anne Hathaway. Like, her romancing Richard Armitage, I think, is so fucking funny. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I'm just like, want to play a card game? (laughs) And Uh shit like that, I think, is really funny. And I think that's interesting, because, like, it's her playing, I think, a bit into the weird kind of role people put her in when she was, like, winning awards for Les Mis. Where, like, everyone hated Anne Hathaway for, like, a year or so. I don't get it. She's great. She's a wonderful actress. And um, I think she kind of played into that in a really funny way in this part. Agafina, like you mentioned, I think, is another standout where just she plays this you know grifter who keeps stealing things off people the whole scene in the subway is phenomenal yep <laughs> where, where um she just is like getting that order and then it's like hey can i have my watch back and hers too she is getting better and better uh, see the farewell if it's anywhere near you it's so great i cried and laughed so much it's a great movie but as for this one um i think it's like you mentioned i think all the uh people uh do a fine job uh what they're asked of which isn't a lot i think gary ross shouldn't be getting these big projects really i think he's a very underwhelming director on every regard but yeah it's just it's fine well you would think the fucking free state of jones would include hollywood in to maybe not give this guy movies i mean i guess then again maybe he's one of those guys who's just like oh he's efficient and gets everything in on time that lasts you a while like a frankenheimer type of thing Right, exactly, yeah. It's just like, hey, come in, you do your thing, and it's all on time, on budget, and it doesn't cost us that much. Fine. And it's just an example where it's like, I'm perfectly fine with like having you know ladies come out there and do mediocre, fine summer blockbuster movies. There are plenty of those starring dudes. But at the same time, let's also give them like, some real standout, better projects of quality. Much like our next film, uh, which is of a lot of great qualities, I would argue, Hannah. You're dead. Right now. Tell me again. Adapt or die. Pick on your feet. Even when I'm sleeping. I'm ready. All you have to do is flip that switch. What do you want, Mason? I need you. You do things my agency will not let me do. Sometimes children are bad people, too. Did she turn out as you hoped?
So Hannah came out April 8th, 2011. Um, it is an action film um, made by and starring a bunch of people who you wouldn't expect in an action movie. Would you call this an action movie, honestly? I would argue it is, but what I think is so interesting is that it's uh, made by Joe Wright, who mm-hmm. um, before and after this would do a lot of uh, period costume dramas. Uh, prior to this, he did the Cure Knightly Pride and Prejudice and Atonement, um, which would explain a certain cast member. Um, and then right. after this, um, he would go on to do stuff like Anna Karenina and the Gary Oldman uh, Churchill movie, The Darkest Hour, or as I call it, Big Mama's House 4, Churchill's in Session. Accurate. Yes. What I like about him doing this is like he's most known for like these doing these big costume dramas that have do have like gorgeous like choices in costume and a lot of one takes. Like, especially, Atonement was famous for that. Like, the big long uh-huh. take with James McAvoy on the beach and everything. And him coming to do, like, basically what is an action story and turning it into what he has described, and I think really shows, is basically like a fairy tale of intense action, I think is such an interesting choice. It's what I love about, like, a director going to a genre they're not really familiar with and putting their unique spin on it because it's an action movie but unlike really any that were released at the time or even since it's such a unique beast it's more uh, like it's a movie about self-discovery and i saw this at the theater when it first came out same uh because a i fucking i don't care i'm a champion of eric Bana. i think that guy gets some of the worst roles but i think he's fantastic mm-hmm. and he's really good in this movie Yes. So I went and saw this, and I was blown away by this movie. I was absolutely blown away. Uh, from the score, which is fucking just amazing, to the shots, to the acting, to everything. I mean, this is just such a slept-on movie, which is crazy to me, because it came out, and, I mean, it was almost instantly in the $5 bin at, like, Walmart when it came out on video. Like, you could find it super cheap. And it went to all the streaming services. Now, I haven't watched any of the new show so I can't speak on that, but I just think this movie is so underrated. I love this movie. And Cersei Ronan is just fucking amazing. Right, who had broken out with Atonement and mm-hmm. had requested Joe Wright for this particular gig. Interestingly, before him, it was going to be either Danny Boyle or Alfonso Caron, both of which would have been very interesting, probably very different from this movie. Yeah, Alfonso Caron would have been actually pretty interesting. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I like Danny Boyle and all, but I'd really like to see Alfonso Cuaron spin on this. Mm-hmm. Yes, but I, I do love at the same time with Joe Wright doing Like, have you seen Wright's other movies? I've seen Atonement. I think I've seen The Pride and Prejudice, too, because Heather's really into that. Mm-hmm. But I don't think I've seen any of the newer stuff. So, no, I don't think I've seen anything of his since this. Or his uh, other, more explicit fairy tale, Pan. Oh, no. That Did he do too. that? He, that was him with, too. Uh, with Hugh Jackman? With Hugh Jackman, yep. I, I shan't be watching that. No, um, listen to me on We Forgive You. I talked all about it. It's, it's pretty yeah. funny to hear. Um, yeah, but, I, I shan't. No, um, but that's an example where it's like it's him kind of doing something different from his wheelhouse and it feels like he's being sort of bombarded with all sorts of stupid ideas versus this feels so much more intimate. I really think that's the biggest thing is few action films feel as intimate as this is where it's like, technically it's a the, the plot of it, which involves uh, Hannah, the title character, is played by Saoirse Ronan. She's been raised by her father, Eric Bana, in the woods, basically. But it's hinted at that she's some sort of, like, genetically enhanced sort of um, child who was part of a government experiment. 
And he keeps saying, like, you know, we've been training in the woods for so long and it taught you all these languages and all this other stuff. Um, as soon as you feel ready, you can flip the switch and the people who have been trying to find us and have murdered your mother ages ago um, will come and track us down. And she decides to do that. And that signals our topic of the day, uh, Kate Blanchett, as um, what I affectionately would call Tommy Lee Jones with the Miss Krabappel hair. Yo, she's a dastardly, dastardly villain, though. Oh, she's so great. Um, and she's, she's just, oh, you hate her so much. Right, yeah. <laughs> and, and, she, and she chases uh, Eric Bannon through Sharonin down and enlists a few people, including another great example of, like, I wouldn't expect this casting, but it's great, Tom Hollander. I love him as Isaacs. He stole the movie for me the first time I watched it, and he almost stole the movie for, for me again this time. Right, and uh, you might know Tom Hollander is, like, he's usually a guy who appears as, like, British guys in stuff suits. Like, mm-hmm. in a lot of movies. He's, he's all over the place. Most he's, people would know him as the bad guy in uh, the second and, I think, third Pirates movies. Yes, right. He was the, the sort of... Um, the, the head elite, of the... The British whatever. naval yeah, fleet. Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. You would recognize him. He's one of those guys. But uh, he or he is completely unrecognizable as a weird club owner who wears tracksuits and has bleach blonde hair mm-hmm. and too much eyeliner. It's so unsettling. Oh, yeah. And he has probably the best theme of the movie in terms of what you were talking about, the score by the Chemical Brothers, who is an electronic band, who, yep. uh, this is their first score and they haven't done one since, and it's a bummer because the score is great. It's fantastic. I completely agree about the score, especially that main theme he whistles all the time, mm-hmm. I love. Yeah, me too. And in the scene where he goes in the tent and the little boy wakes up, he's and I can't speak German, obviously, but he's like, it's the Sandman, go back to sleep. Like, there, I could not go back to sleep. <laughs> Fuck that. I'm like, What? What is going on here? <laughs> well, that's what, and the thing is, really watching it this time, I got the fairy tale structure of it so much more because based on that story, it's like this um, huntsman takes a princess into the woods to raise on his own because he fears that she will be succumbed by the queen, who then comes back and enlists her, her new huntsman in the form of like Tom Hollander to track them down. It's so the speed for beat structure of a fairy tale. Oh, absolutely. And even, like, a lot of the imagery, obviously, like, I love the set piece of it being, like, this abandoned theme park near the end. That so whole, creepy. so creepy, so unsettling. I, then again, I also love, like, what, seeing abandoned amusement park photos on the internet. Mm-hmm. I, that's just a weird aesthetic thing that I love, and I, I love that idea that, like, it's this long abandoned... Like, it looks like it's been abandoned for just long enough to where you can see some signs people once were there, but still... Right completely alien at the same time like 10 almost, to 15 years nobody right it that. almost looks post-apocalyptic yeah right i agree and then the fucking weird dude who they, they call grim that runs the place yes or is still there dude he's so weird but he's like you love him at the same time mm-hmm. and he's basically like the the wizard who's enlisted yep to try and help them out um i found out that guy actually uh uh in inglorious bastards he played hitler mm-hmm. yeah i did not I recognize him at all yeah, I knew that. Uh, I only knew it because as watching, like, how do I know this fucking guy? How do I know this guy? Well, yeah. that's how. I love the family. Well, A, I mean, Jason Fleming is fantastic. Oh, and, and I have and I have a big thing for Olivia Williams. I think she's oh, been so she's criminally so, underutilized her whole career. Oh, she's so incredibly unutilized. Yeah. She is such a fantastic actress. And even the two kids are also great, especially. I yeah, really, they really are. I really like the relationship that she has with the young girl in that family mm-hmm. where initially she's sort of like, Oh, you're sort of like my pet that I can bring around. And it's just like, Oh, you're, you're weird. You're a, a token that I can bring around. And then they have this genuine friendship that almost grows into something a bit 
right. more than that. And I, I like that they kind of just stop there. It almost feels I like a too. summer romance that like, happens at a camp. Right, I agree. And and it also shows us just how young they are and they, they don't know what their feelings are yet. And, right. and Hannah has no human contact outside of her dad until these people. She doesn't know what television is. Nope. She's read about electricity. And by the way, Cersei Ronan kicks all sorts of ass in this movie. Oh, dude, that scene where she escapes out of the detention cell yeah. thing. That whole sequence is so well put together. It's like it's, it's a combination of these super huge long takes and then mm-hmm. also like these great bits where like Cersei Ronan's like running and he'll cut again to like a slightly closer shot and then cut right again to a slightly closer shot. It almost feels kind of like a run, Lola run thing. It feels much more sort of European in its construction of the action. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, Eric Bana's wonner when he's leaving the airport and goes down to the subway. Yeah, what I like about the, the thing is, some people have accused the, the Joe Wright of like doing these one takes. It's like, oh, it feels a lot way more masturbatory. Like he's doing it just for the feat of doing a one take. I think it builds tension. Right, it builds tension and also really shows the character sort of like discovering things about the environment along with you. Yep. And it's unbroken in that way. I love the way that's done in any of his movies. Even Pan has some really good one shots as bad as that movie oh, is. Oh, God. <laughs> um, and, and particularly like that shot or also the flashback thing with Kate Blanchett. Uh, shooting down oh, the car. Oh, yeah. An amazing shot where, like, she, especially the bit where she, like, looks into the broken billboard and then we go oh. right to the hole and all this other shit. So good. The thing is, there was no question in this movie, though, in that scene in the subway that Eric Bana was absolutely going to kill all of those people. That's that's why I always say he's so underrated for me. Like, a lot of people, you know, Munich. But I think he did the fucking Hulk, dude. He did the Hulk. And I think that really fucked him. Unfortunately, yeah, because... We may talk about it at some point in the future, but um, I think his Hulk is underrated. I definitely agree. I think it's got such a weird aesthetic to it. There will never be a superhero movie like it again. No. <laughs> never, I, yeah, ever. I 100% agree. <laughs> but um, to back on our topic, uh, especially with Kate Blanchett, you know the second she's on the screen that she is the most dangerous woman in the planet other than Hannah. Like, because she just has full reign. She can do whatever she wants, black ops, whatever you want to call it, and she is merciless. She will kill and do whatever she needs to do. Right. I think especially the the moment you kind of see that, it's a very subtle thing with her, but the bit where she's first walking into the, like, the office building and they like bring up some sort of innocuous thing, she's like, oh, whatever, and then she goes up the stairs... Oh, there's, she's terrified. She's she's terrifying where it's like she's completely straight. There's no move in her posture from when she's standing. But her legs go up and down in such a like deliberate, almost disturbing way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they give her the file saying, oh, he was pinged Eric Heller, our Jewish case handler. She's like, oh, Heller, <sighs> yeah, I'll take care of it. And she's standing out, the, she walks up the stairs deliberately, and then she's staring out the window, and she's like, fuck, yeah. oh, fuck, this is going to crush me if I don't take care of this. Mm-hmm. Which she did. And I, I mean, I, you know, the first time I saw it, I'm like, oh, man, because I didn't want Eric Bana to die. <laughs> but I'm like, yeah, of course he has to die. Because then that gives Hannah her comeuppance. That gives her even more of a reason to do what she does. Yeah, and I, I love especially, like, their last scene together is so heartbreaking with Sir Sharon and Eric Bana. That's such a great example of like that sort of you know imposter adopted kid thing where it's just like you're not my real dad it's like but i raised you this whole time and i was trying to protect you from something and how the moment where she hears that shot and she just knows like he's dead is like she instantly drops to her knees yeah instantly it's brutal 
It's so heartbreaking. Especially with, like, Kate Blanchett. I think the her standout sequence is when she's interrogating the whole family, and you show each individual technique of how she interrogates people. Mm-hmm. Where, like, she's on, she's trying to be, like, down-to-earth with Jason Fleming. Um, she's kind of trying to be on level with the sort of back-and-forth tactics of Olivia Williams. Um, she's completely berating that poor girl. I feel yep. so bad for that fucking girl. And then she's baby-talking the boy. Well, yes. not baby-talking, but, like, acting like a kindergarten teacher almost. You know, you like her, don't you? Don't worry, I won't tell nobody. I just want to protect her. Oh, and you know they do that shit. That's the thing that was makes it more real, that you know they do. In fact, they brought in like a CIA, an ex-CIA agent to train her. Right. Espe- but this is their tactics. Especially that bit where he says like, is she in trouble? Oh, in the worst kind, honey. And that, you know, just, oh. to even speak to your accent thing, like that isn't a distinctive southern accent it's like a mush of every southern accent in mm-hmm. one but it almost works to make her more sinister because you're not quite sure what dialect she's from i think it's a great example where it's like it's not necessarily a realistic accent but it's one that like makes you more intimidated and works for the character i mean that's my only flaw really with this whole movie i don't know that that was inherently written in the character to make her sound like she could be from any region or she just can't pull off a southern accent well, if, if nothing else, I think that it works for the movie because it's like I mentioned, this is, while an action movie that takes place technically in our reality, it is also a fairy tale story. It's a fantasy of this, you know, young girl, as you mentioned, discovering herself, but coming out of the woods and coming into the big bad city where the queen is after her this whole time. I think it adds to sort of the weird fairy tale nature of the whole movie. Uh, I mean, yeah. Okay, I'll give you that. Because this movie is very odd. The way it's shot, it is not structured like a typical action movie whatsoever. It's not structured like a typical drama. or It's it's literally structured as a coming-of-age tale. And then it just has moments of brutal violence thrown in. Um, and just a crazy cast of characters. So, okay, I'll give you that. You know what? You got me. You get one out of me. And now my job is done. <laughs> Don't you ever fucking try it again. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah even talking about the structure thing um i love how we contrast the opening and the ending of the movie where you have like mm. completely white tundra surface and she's chasing after this deer and the whole like i just missed your heart thing um and how that contrasts later on when she's being chased by Kate blanchett in this like overgrown weedy forest that she's unfamiliar with but she still gets the best of her. And that final shot where she shoots Kate Blanchett and immediately cut to Hannah is such a great final shot. Well, uh, yeah, I, lo- I love when movies use that trope, too, where they basically repeat the opening at the end. Yes. And it works perfect. You wouldn't want this movie to end any other way. No. Like, I don't want to see what happens next to Hannah. I really don't. Uh, I- I'd rather my imagination go. You know, I, I don't want to see her all of a assimilated or living with that family or going to high school or anything. I don't I don't want to know that. Because, A, that'd be impossible almost for that character. And, B, just let me decide. Right, yeah. The few glimpses we get of her interacting, like, I, I love the whole date sequence that she does with mm. the girl where they go off with those guys. She's just like, almost breaks that dude's neck. She's like, this was fun. <laughs> go. It's, it's so, it's endearing, but also it, it leads to that whole, like I said, the sort of badassery. It does a great job of balancing out how, like, she's a genuine threat this whole time, but she's still just like this young girl who wants to experience things that she hasn't before. There's a huge tragedy. It's it's this whole thing of, like, I'm so badass and that's my curse. She's like fucking Wolverine. Well, yeah, in a way, sure. I mean, I guess she is a mutant. 
who was off in the fucking woods in the tundra, yeah. and she was raised yeah. by an adopted parent who kind of <laughs> fucked her up. Fights Bruce Banner. Fights Bruce Banner. Right, a lot. right, of course. Um, and uh, <laughs> Kate, Kate Blanchett's Hella, I guess. So, hey, we're, we're everyone's right. in the Marvel movie. It's, uh... it's MCU. <laughs> <laughs> have you watched the show? No. Yeah, me I don't, either. I don't, I don't know have I much interest in. Yeah. yeah, I don't want to see Joel Kinnaman. Oh, is that who they got? Yeah, he's uh, he's the Eric Bana part. Oh, wow. That's such a downgrade. And then uh, his Muriel Enios or whatever, the one who was his partner in the killing, uh-huh. is the Kate Blanchett part. Okay. I mean, I could see that more than... I don't, I don't want to watch anything with Joel Kinnaman. No, not, not very interesting. Yeah, no, he's terrible. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I guess we can spin that off into our final thoughts on Hannah Adam. I love this movie. I think this is one of the undersung, under-championed drama slash thriller slash action movie slash art slash whatever movies you want to call it. I think there's something in here for everyone. And uh, unfortunately, it just didn't hit right when it came out. And uh, I think this is a criminally underseen, underrated film. I absolutely love it. And I absolutely will revisit this one again. I think this is a fantastic, fantastic film. Yeah, I, I completely agree. Um, obviously, I picked this as my good pick. Um, I think because it's such an odd move for, I think, everybody involved, from Joe Wright to Sarsha Ronan, um, to get really Irish with it, Kate Blanchett, even Eric Banda, it feels so distinctive and like this weird gem that couldn't have really happened at any other time before, since I think it's such an odd beast that I'm glad to see exists in the world at the same time. I, that also is why I guess it didn't really hit. Cause especially I remember the ads, like especially for the show, I pulled up a trailer that you heard the 30 second clip of 20 minutes ago um, mm-hmm. on the show. And they were definitely really advertising. It's like, Oh, it's a hardcore action movie starring this young lady. And I can see why that wouldn't really appeal to a lot of people. It didn't bomb or anything. It made no, but it wasn't, no, it wasn't a huge splash. It made, it's $30 million budget made about 65. That's fine. Oof, that's not great, dude. It, well, no, it I... did decently. I'm not saying it did great. Like that's it's its budget and a half. Well, you got to figure you got to throw in advertising and everything too. So you got to figure thirty million for a production budget, add in another ten million to fifteen million for advertising. I mean, even so then, talking, I don't remember it being advertised that much at the same time. It was advertised enough, though. I mean, enough. Well, well, okay, so say it's five million. So say it goes up to thirty-five million. So at best, this movie this movie made thirty million dollars, which thirty million dollars not nothing to turn your nose up at. But for a thir- cons- also for a $30 million budget. No, I agree, but it's not considered a hit. And I never said it was a hit. I just said it did fine. And I think that's the thing. It's I'm just projecting like- here, Thomas. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I think I was doing a final thought. Uh, anyway, yeah, I, I think this is, um, it's a very underrated little gem of a movie. And it lacks sort of any specific genre. And some may consider that a bug. I consider it a feature. I think that makes it such... A weird beast that I I wouldn't be able to be really imitated, and no one really tried, and I'm kind of glad. Um, it's it's just one that, like you mentioned, more people need to at least seek out. And my only hope with that Amazon show is it at least made some people be like, "Hey, I want to watch this movie," and yet Amazon isn't streaming it on Prime for free. You would figure they would do that. They're not. They're like it's the whole thing where you got like rent it for three ninety nine. Oh, then they definitely lost my dollar. I mean, what the fuck? You're going to put out original programming on Amazon Prime and charge people to watch it after they're already paying? Oh, no, 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 no,
wasn't. Oh well, then that's fine. Well, but I, I just feel like <laughs> if you're gonna have that to stream, have the show, have the, movie. Have the show, have the movie. No, right? Like... Yeah, the fucking Netflix is doing that with Dark Crystal. You couldn't spring for that Amazon. How much of the rights to stream that movie? Come on, yo. And in fact, when I went to rewatch this again, I checked all the streaming services because Hannah used to be on like a, several of them all the time. Mm-hmm. And now, of course, the show comes out, so eh, we're not gonna. Yeah, no, you gotta pay to watch the original. Go fuck yourself. I I paid to watch the original. <laughs> <laughs> as I mean, as anyone should, and as you all should, yeah. but it would just be more inviting to people. It's like, oh, the 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 TV shows here. I might as well watch the movie. Um, and from what I've heard, even the TV show is just kind of a remake of the movie. A hundred percent, yeah. Just, that's what I heard too. Just stretched good. out over like ten episodes or whatever. Yeah. I, I'm never going to watch it. Right, right. And, and I would hope to see Joe Wright do more riskier things like this. Just something really outside his comfort zone. Because I, I like the costume stuff that he still does. Like, Darkest Hour was good. Gary Oldman earned his Oscar for being in a fat suit. Though he really earned it for his whole career inside of that fat suit. I know. <laughs> but um, I, I, I would like to see him do some, like, you know, other genre things. I hope Pan didn't dissuade him from doing that. Um, like I'd love to see. I him. think Pan, I think Pan might have been his attempt at doing a big, big budget like blockbuster. They expected that movie to do well. Oh god! Oh, yeah, oh um, boy! Uh, but I would like to see him like maybe just do something else that's like similarly small like this, like even like a horror movie. I think would be interesting with him, especially like you have him do like a slasher. I think could be really interesting. Or a period piece horror film. Or of course, yes, that like something you kind of like a element, like but a like a gothic horror, right? Or even something more like a Jane Eyre, where it's like there's a gothic feel Ooh. to it. Might not necessarily be straight out horror. I could see him doing that, right? Too. Yeah, yeah, that would work. Yes, um, but this was the movie that brought me on his radar, and I think he's a very underrated director in general. And I think he's uh, the current master of the one take, the new master at least, obviously. People like Scorsese and others are still around sure. doing it, but sure. he's um, it's kind of made it his you know, distinctive stamp, and he does it in a way, like I said, that really explores the world and keeps you engrossed with the characters. And so, yeah, Hannah, great movie. Go seek it out if you haven't. Real quick, uh, I just thought of it. Joe Wright, a Jack the Ripper movie. Oh, fuck yeah. Yeah. That would be really awesome. That would really work. Because there hasn't been really a good Jack the Ripper movie. There never has been. I mean, the closest, and this is even stretching, is time after time. That's really stretching. <laughs> a lot of people would say from hell, and I'm like, get the fuck no, out No, I here. would not. I would not be one of them. <laughs> yeah, no, but then again, you have themselves. David Warner playing Jack the Ripper against Malcolm McDowell, H.G. Wells. That's that's pretty mm-hmm. awesome. Come on. And that is the end of our double feature discussion about the two Kate Blanchett films. Uh, but before we go, uh, we have some feedback to read on our Facebook and Twitter page at DEDBpod. Every week we ask you on Mondays to put out the feeler about like, hey, what are your favorite, least favorite examples of whatever topic we're doing? And uh, for this time, obviously, we asked you about Kate Blanchett. So we had some people uh, chime in. First, uh, James Rodriguez says that Carol is one of the best recent romances, with Blanchett doing outstanding work opposite a brilliant Rooney Mara. Uh, it's also worth mentioning how much she puts into her one scene in Hot Fuzz, all while wearing a white mask, and is one of the brightest spots of the Ocean's 8 lineup. Now, I remember when Hot Fuzz came out. Mm-hmm. And that, like, wasn't a known thing that that was Kate Blanchett. And I swear to God, I'm watching going, I think that's Kate Blanchett. Like, and every time I watch, I've seen that movie so many times. I'm like, yep. I think that's Kate Blanchett. And finally it was like, oh, it is Kate Blanchett. I'm like, oh. That's one of those I didn't find out until the audio commentary where Edgar Wright right. talked about it. I'm like, what? Exactly. Great. 
For sure, yeah. And uh, Carol, like I mentioned, it was my other choice, and I do agree. I think that it is a phenomenal film. Um, basically, if you don't know, it's a movie that takes place in like the 1950s, and it's about um, Kate Blanchett and Rini Mira have a uh, lesbian relationship, and obviously that's kind of frowned upon. It sounds like something you might have seen before, but it's such a really, especially subtle movie, and the two of them mm-hmm. act so well off each other. It's it's really heartbreaking. That's a great movie. Yeah, I definitely want to see it. I remember when the ads came out. and But the thing is, it's definitely one of those movies I didn't seek out right away because I knew I'm like I'm gonna get emotional watching this. Yeah, <laughs> you know what I mean. So I'm like, ah, Bring fuck. your tissues. Uh-huh. Um, Steve uh, Wandling said, uh, "I'm not there, and I love when she's uh, what she's done with Todd Haynes." And uh, for those of you not might not remember, "I'm Not There" is the Bob Dylan movie where you had several people playing Bob Dylan, like Christian Bale, Heath Ledger, Richard Gere. I hate that movie. I. I'm not a huge fan of that movie, but her segment is the best part of that whole movie. No, she, oh, 100%. Hers and uh, Ben Wishaw's yes. are the best. Yes. The rest is, like, oh, get, get over yourself, Richard Gere, for God's <laughs> sakes. No, I, I, Isn't that yeah. most of Richard Gere's recent career, though? Uh-huh. Just get over yourself. I remember watching it, to go off on a little tangent because it's on topic, an interview with Richard Gere when I'm Not There was coming out. He's like, oh, yeah. I remember we used to hang out and just pump Bob Dylan through our headphones and just jam to it. Nobody jammed to Bob Dylan. It was protest music. Nobody sat in a dorm room. It was like, fuck yeah, Bob Dylan. Wah, 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 wah. You know, man? like that shit didn't happen. He's, I fucking, God damn it. Richard Gere is not Dennis Quaid for me or John Travolta. Or John Voight. Yeah. Fuck. Why do you gotta bring him up? <laughs> You know what? Uh, Richard Gere might be on John Voight level. He might be on that level. In that you can watch some of his movies. I can watch some of them, but it also depends on who else is in the movie. Well, especially if it's like some of his older work. I think post-Chicago, he's made a lot of unwatchable movies. I'd say Chicago and pre-Chicago. I mean, no, I, I guess like some of the, but I'd say he's made more consistent, terrible choices yeah post chicago is all i'm yeah, saying he's he's pretty awful uh but <laughs> but to get back to like obviously with um kate blanchett in that movie she completely disappears and like she is bob dylan like everyone else is playing some weird oh, interpretation yeah. of bob dylan there's some bullshit thing about like oh it's it's his music it has different interpret whatever but such an egotistical movie but she genuinely is just like embodying that guy mm-hmm. As uh-huh. just like a person and it does a phenomenal job with it especially like her playing off of um isn't it david cross yeah right the whole time. it's so fun like that whole I, I would definitely if you don't watch that whole movie but watch that segment if you can it's uh it's, it's a real big display of her especially as an actress um and then Stephen d at waiting fth says uh don't really have a best or worst to be frank i'll pretty much watch anything that Kate blanchett does um also aspiring oz accent people here's a good one to aim for instead of the steve Irwin type um also if you haven't seen the episode of inside the actor's studio with her on it try and find it i don't know if i saw that one i've seen most of the inside the actor studios i don't remember if i saw kate blanchett's or not no i, I don't believe i have either but then again i, I did yeah me neither i did love that show when oh it's great and you, you heard lipton's lipton. <laughs> yeah but just I love James Lipton, A, because of the Will Ferrell impersonation. Of course. So it just made it funnier. But yeah, that was a good show. I'd like to watch that one. Well, and I just love, like, with James Lipton, he would always come on and just, like, the overemphasis on things where it's like, you're clearly, like, someone who knows about the craft of acting but isn't much of an actor. But you're really fancy. What's your favorite word? Well, then wait, wait, let me put the spin on it. 
What's your favorite what, curse? <laughs> what you've done is transcendent. It is beautiful. And it sets the tone for the whole culture. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, what? Wait a minute. <laughs> How was it being a canine cop? <laughs> it's like Jim Belushi or something. Like, wait a minute. Stop. I mean, to be the best one. Um, well, the best two are the episodes he did with Dave Chappelle. There's the one where That's he interviewed one. Dave Chappelle and the one where Dave Chappelle interviewed him. Those are great. Yep. Those are phenomenal. The Ben Stiller episode was good, too. Yes. I mean, there's obviously, like, Robin Williams one's really good. There's there's a there's a bunch of... The best thing about Inside the Actor Studio is if you look in the crowd several times, uh, you can see a young Bradley Cooper in yep. the audience. Yep. And he even asked Sean Penn a question at one point. Yep. I remember that. Yeah. We also had some feedback in reference to our last episode about uh, Guillermo del Toro. Uh, Ross Weaver at uh, Dreaming Weaver says, uh, Check the del Toro episode out. Uh, loved it even though I haven't seen either film. Good takes throughout. Oh, well, thank you, buddy. Yeah. And then uh, we had some feedback from Dave West in reference to an earlier episode, uh, our uh, Movies That Deserve Remakes episode. Says, I checked out the Highlander Dr. Moreau episode and really enjoyed it. You guys have a great chemistry and it was an entertaining listen. You're on my playlist now. Oh, well, you know what, buddy? You're in my heart now. <laughs> I mean, you could put his podcast, The Needless Things Podcast, in your heart now as well. That's already on my spot. I'm not going to, come on, I'm not going to give him free promotion, man. <laughs> it's already on my, I already listened to it. Well, I subscribed and, to and it. Admittedly, Dave's a buddy of mine, and we've uh, done plenty of Dragon Con panels uh, in the past together, and in the future, put a pin in that. Oh... Yes, um, and uh, well, thank you for all that feedback, everybody. We also want to thank uh, Chris Oliver for the intro and outro music used for our show. Listen to more of his music at chrisoliver.bandcamp.com. Thanks to Emily Scarta for the art for our show. Uh, she accepts commissions at fiverwith2rs.com slash eescarta. Uh, you can find us on Twitter and Facebook, as I mentioned, at DEDBpod, where every Monday I put out that feeler about the good and bad movies. And uh, also on doubleedgedoublebill at gmail.com, you can send us feedback or i'm on my own individual twitter account at not the who's tommy and i also do some writing at marianithomas.wordpress.com uh you can read right now a scary stories to tell in the dark review uh which i will say is a better gateway horror movie than uh the subject of our last episode don't be afraid of the dark which i found out after we had that whole discussion about like oh can kids get into it mm-hmm. that movie was rated r what don't be afraid of the dark is r i know <laughs> Wait, what? I know. Is it really? <laughs> yes. No. Is it? I know. I I don't I don't I don't like this. <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. Not at all. No. Um I'm just scrolling through finding out what it was rated R for. I am actually um, looking right now. Yeah, it too. is rated R for violence and terror. Oh, that is horse shit. <laughs> There's no reason I'm just rated R. <laughs> PG-13, okay, I'll give you that. R? Oh, my God. And that's the thing okay. is that, especially after seeing Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark, that's a PG-13, and they push it pretty hard. In of course they scenes. do. Yeah. Uh, oh, but God. in a way that still works, I would say that is, a, not to spoil my review, but um, it's definitely, it's good if you're trying to get a kid who kind of likes horror aesthetic stuff, but hasn't seen something really scary, in like the age range of like preteen. It's a really good yeah, set for Yeah, you got to. Like 11, 12, 13 years old. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's it's perfect for like that set who are like, want to see a scary movie, be engaged by it. But you can read more about that at marianithomas.wordpress.com. Um, and uh, you can also catch me at DragonCon this 
Labor Day weekend from August 30th to September 2nd. Um, Dragon Con's over in Atlanta, Georgia, and I'll be doing various panels there. Um, the schedule is still slightly TBD at this point. It hasn't been set in stone. Um, but as of yet, I can tell you that, uh, one, um, I'll be doing is the Apocalypse Now, a Good Omens fan panel, which, um, is scheduled to be on Friday, August 30th at 7 p.m. Um, then I've got the Blair Witch Legacy with Dave West, um, um, and the other Needless Things podcast people, Friday at 10 p.m. And, uh, there's also the Horror of Scooby-Doo, which will be Saturday at 1 p.m. Um, and the Nosferatu, A Symphony of Horror. Um, which will be Saturday at 8.30 p.m., and will be followed by a screening of the film with a live uh, music accompaniment. Oh, yes, nice. And, and uh, there will also be a What We Do in the Shadows fan panel, uh, which will be Sunday at 1 p.m. as well. That I'll have, be you, have you watched the show, Thomas? I've, I've been watching the show in preparation. So good. That, that pilot's so really great. <laughs> uh, it's so funny. Yes. For sure, on that. Um, and those are all, keep in mind, in the Westin Hotel. Of the five hotels that DragonCon is in, it'll be at the Westin, either in the Chastain or the Peachtree. Uh, most of those are in the Peachtree room, but uh, the Chastain is where I'll be doing the Good Omens panel for the Urban Fantasy track. Ah, the Chastains of the Jessicas. Yes. <laughs> That's the first thing I thought of when I did a panel in that room. Of course. <laughs> Fucking Jessica. Where are you, Jessica? <laughs> but yeah, I'll be doing all that. And uh, Adam, you can find uh, pulling off a heist of one. Oh, yeah, no, I'm not doing anything. Oh, no, no, no. I'm just laying around farting on my couch. Like, don't even don't even bother following me. You're going to be bored. Well, right, that's exactly what you're doing. Or it's the perfect alibi for a heist. You've said too much. <gasps> well, uh, before I get murdered by Adam, uh, please subscribe to us on iTunes, uh, even though there might not be episodes afterward, <laughs> if, if Adam might kill me <laughs> after this. Um, subscribe to us on iTunes or Spotify, YouTube... Stitcher, uh, we're on all the podcast things uh, where you can listen, and uh, yeah, just also uh, make sure to rate and review, or at least share the show, because that gives us more visibility. All you gotta do is hit a share link, man. I, that, that That's all I'm asking for. You know, you legitimately don't have to do anything else. No. So it doesn't make you a square if you share a show. You're still cool, you still go to the soda shop or whatever afterwards. <laughs> Get the malts. Yeah, right. <laughs> your little deuce coupe, whatever you kids are driving, just help us out. All right, and we're getting pretty delirious here, so we're going to go ahead and do the picking for our next episode. If you're new, each week Adam and I um, trade off on the good and bad quality because we, of course, have a good and a bad feature. Uh, this time for our next topic in honor of, it's been 20 years since a certain big year, Adam. The year is, uh, what did Prince say we should party like it's, Adam? Like it's 1999, yeah, baby. Yeah, Exactly, yes. We are doing an episode about 1999, arguably one of the best years in film of the 20th or any other century. It's insane. The amount of hits and the amount of just cult classics that came out of the year is mind-blowing. Yes, and of course, uh, you had the toughest thing of you had all sorts of good films, a smorgasbord of good films for your two good picks. And I had my two bad picks, which, admittingly, um, it's it's weird where, like, there are a couple pretty obvious ones, and then there's just, like, completely forgettable bullshit. Like, everyone remembers Mickey Blue Eyes, right? Exactly. Yeah, oh, with Hugh Grant and James Caan, I remember that shit. <laughs> I think I'm the only one. Great movie, right? 
<laughs> it lasts the test yeah, of time. Yeah, with something. Fuck the yeah, Iron Giant or Fight Club. Not to spoil what you might pick, Adam. Yeah, right. No, they had, they were, God damn it, the Iron Giant. Anyways, go ahead. <laughs> well, you have your two good picks, and you've assigned each a number between 1 and 10. I've done the same thing for my two bad picks. And so then uh, both of us will each pick a number between 1 and 10 for the other's picks. And then uh, we end up getting somewhere in the range of our good and our bad feature. So, Adam, for your two good picks... I'm going to go with number... You know, there's three of them in this particular year. Nine. Ooh, at number ten, I have... Which... I, To be honest, I don't know a lot of the Jim Jarmusch movies. Mm-hmm. But I went Ghost Dog way the same way. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm a big fan of this one. I also haven't seen a lot of Jarmusch, but I really dig this one. I really love Ghost Dog to the point I bought the book. I bought well, the book. But we'll, we'll get into this, Adam, when we yeah, do I know. our discussion. God damn it, I love that movie. Yeah, so but what was your other choice? Uh, at number two, I had 8mm with Nicolas Cage, which is a movie about uh, stuff films and porn. Yeah, we got a good one. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad we got a good one. <laughs> yeah, well, go fuck yourself. <laughs> No, no, it's been a while since I've seen 8mm, I'm not sure. I, it's one of the better uh, Joel Schumacher movies, I guess we can say, which isn't maybe saying Yeah, we're not saying a lot. No. Yeah. <laughs> but now for my two bad picks, I'm at number two, one and ten. Oh, I'm going to go number three. Okay. At number two, I have a vehicle uh, starring a man that we both love dearly. We've talked about some of his movies on here, but I would argue this is the one that killed his sort of reign in the 80s and 90s as a big action star. Arnold Schwarzenegger in End of Days. Oh, come on. What are you talking about? That's bullshit. No, it's a terrible film. <laughs> well, I mean, you can say all sorts of great Arnold quotes from End of Days, right? You, yeah, yeah, no. I just know his name is Jacob Jericho. What is the fucking... <laughs> Oh, God, <laughs> oh, there's there's so much stupid stuff, including how it ties into 1999. It's one of the most stupid things I've ever heard. Uh, we'll get into that. We'll get into it next week. But um, at number eight, I had um, a movie that I remember really wanting to see as a kid uh, because of the star and because it advertises like a goofy, fun kids comedy. Uh, Robin Williams' Bicentennial Man. Oh my God! What a dark, depressing. Movie. Yes, that's the thing. Is that when I went into it as a kid, it's like, oh man, it's gonna be you know fun, and it's gonna Robin Williams having fun, and it's like, oh hey, um, life is eternal for a robot, and you see all the people you know and love die, <laughs> and it's like, oh, and you know, I would argue, um, someone who did that better with an underrated movie, AI, I think is a much better version of that movie. I love AI. I think AI is a really good movie. Yes. Also one that I went to as a child thinking like, oh, this is going to be, you know, it's Steven Spielberg robot movie. It's going to be a lot of fun. That movie's not fun. <laughs> that, yeah. that one's also really fucked up. Yeah, it's uh, pretty bad. But okay, so End of Days and uh, Ghost Dog Way of the Samurai. That's a that's an interesting yep. one. I'm excited. I, I, I think we uh, definitely have one that no one talks about and the other that everyone's forgotten. Yes, and to delineate which you'll have to listen to next time. But until then, Adam... Uh, let's go ahead and uh, run because I flipped the switch. They're coming after us, Adam. Run! Go! Long lives the giant condor. <laughs>